Americans. This is the Urbane Cowboys podcast with Josiah Neely of R Street Institute and Doug McCullough of Lone Star Policy Institute. Good day. Howdy, y'all. Welcome to the Urbane Cowboys podcast. I'm Josiah Neely with the R Street Institute. And I'm Doug McCullough with the Lone Star Policy Institute. Today, we are going to be talking about policy once again, and uh, specifically, late last week, Senator Romney came out with a proposal to create uh, a universal child allowance. So the government sending people monthly checks based on how many kids that they have, young children that they have. And to discuss this, we have one of our gold star guests here on Urban Cowboys, Sam Hammond who is the Director of Poverty and Welfare Policy at the Niskanen Center. So first of all, Sam, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me back. I think this is like thir- third or fourth time? Something like that, yes. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely not the second time or the first time. I can guarantee that. So Sam, maybe, uh, so let's start with, so there's a, you're going to have a child allowance. What is that as a policy? How does it how does it work, and what's the idea or the goal that it's supposed to achieve there? Yeah, so the U.S. Um, as it stands, we have a child tax credit, which is a partially refundable tax uh, credit applied to your taxes, and a child allowance just takes that the next step further and says uh, we want to support children and families per se, and um, as such, make it something that's fully available, universal, a flat benefit um, delivered monthly. And under the Romney proposal, that uh, the delivery uh, is done by the Social Security Administration, and it's fully paid for through a series of uh, program consolidations, including um, du- things that we consider kind of duplicative, and also uh, modernizing the earned income tax credit to eliminate its, its marriage penalty. So, in, in essence, a child allowance is trying to solve this problem, which is that um, you know a, a capitalist economy, which has a lot of benefits, doesn't by nature reward uh, households with dependents and children. Um, the, uh, you, you make the same wage based on your mar- marginal productivity, whether you got kids at home or not, and to in- ensure families have the financial security they need to raise kids and thereby you know, create a new generation of people paying into Social Security and everything else. Uh, uh, most countries around, uh, most developed countries around the world have some form of child or family allowance. Yeah, so the Romney proposal is... Uh, I guess what's called budget neutral. So it's paid for by corresponding cuts uh, to other programs. What is being cut, or you called it consolidated? You know, what do we have now that we're getting rid of or folding into this uh, child allowance? Yeah, so under, under the Romney plan, every um, uh, household with children, um, with citizen children, would be entitled to uh, $4,200 per year for preschool kids and uh, three thousand dollars per year for older kids, so three fifty a month and uh, two fifty a month. You know, as I mentioned, we already have the child tax credit, so this obviously gets rolled into that. And and on net, there's about sixty six billion in new in new spending that has to be made up for. <clears throat> the the biggest uh, dent that uh, gets put into that is by far the elimination of the salt deduction. So um, in twenty seventeen, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act capped the salt deduction, just the, the, the state and local tax deduction. Uh, at ten thousand dollars, and um, and this would just eliminate, eliminate it outright, which generates about uh, twenty billion, little more than twenty billion in, in new revenues, uh, and that's mainly um, mainly coming from wealthy uh, households, upper class households in high tax 
uh, states. And then the next biggest uh, 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 contributor comes from the uh, reformed earned income tax credit. So the earned income tax credit is a lot like the child tax credit in that it's a it's a refundable uh, uh, benefit that's provided through the tax code um, that phases in with earnings. It's sort of uh, supposed to be a, a wage subsidy of sorts. But the EITC has a large um, variation based on the number of kids you have. Uh, have in the house. Um, so we see this as an opportunity to uh, simplify things by having a child allowance for, for the child benefit and uh, making their earned income tax credit more of a um, straightforward uh, earnings credit. And so and so a lot of the per child variation gets rolled into the child credit and uh, we try to calibrate it so that everyone um, comes out uh, basically uh, far better off or, or neutral. Uh, and then um, the other uh, Big one that's that's controversial is the abolition of TANF. So TANF is um, the Temporary Assistance for Needy Families program. It's the federal block grant that uh, uh, DC the feds provide to to states to administer social assistance programs. Following the 1996 welfare reform, TANF uh, by being block granted and pegged at, at 16.5 billion dollars a year, it, it has eroded about 40 percent in its in real terms due to inflation. Um, and over that same time, the amount of Money in TANF that's going towards cash assistance has has declined even further to the point where uh, only about three billion of the TANF block grant actually goes towards uh, cash assistance. On top of that, TANF has this fiscal uh, distributional problem where you know a state like New York, California, get over five hundred dollars per per kid through TANF, uh, whereas uh, fiscally poor states like um, like Texas, Idaho, Utah get less than sixty dollars per kid um, to, in theory, deliver similar programs. Um, so uh, the, the the purpose of scrapping is twofold: one, to uh, sort of transcend this highly means-tested approach to family support um, that we've had historically, but then also to rectify these uh, interstate fiscal disparities. And then the last two are, are are more marginal in the grand scheme of things, but we eliminate the head of household uh, tax filing status. Um, the, uh, this is sort of an, an anachronism of the U.S. tax system. Most most countries either individualize their tax system or have uh, the choice to file as a single or as married. In the U.S., we have this third category called head of household, which really only exists to provide uh, preferential benefits to single parents by bringing in a child allowance. Uh, you know, you're, 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 you can rest assured that um, single parents are, are, are come out at least as, as well off. So it's a good opportunity to get rid of that as well. And then the final thing is uh, the child care and development, uh, child care tax credit, which is different than the child tax credit. It's the uh, child uh, it's a non-refundable credit on eligible childcare expenses that's really only available to very high-income uh, households with lots of childcare expenses. One of the messages of the child allowance is to say we're, we're, we want to pr- promote childcare pluralism. We're not going to directly subsidize, subsidize childcare, which we know just leads to higher prices. Instead, let's give the money to parents and let them make the choice uh, uh, to you know hire external daycare or to um, go informal routes using family and friends. The church basement, so to speak, and and other informal providers that probably aren't eligible for a a formal subsidy. Okay, so I'm sorry, Doug. Did you have something? Well, just as a clarification, you you may have said this, but I, I may have missed it. Is is this uh, is the child uh, tax credit? Is it means tested, or is it simply is it uh, a refundable tax credit? How does that? How what are, what are the sort of the mechanisms of calculating this? Yeah, so the so the Biden uh, team has their own child proposal, a child credit proposal, which is really just a a building on top of the child tax credit, and so it would be a means tested uh, tax refund 
done at the end of the year that they want they're trying they want to do it monthly they're going to try to do it monthly but um, you know I think they're going to run into problems just because uh, the IRS is kind of stretched thin as it is but then also uh, there, there's this question of um, you know mid-year adjustments like, let's say you get divorced in March uh, do you does the, uh, the non-custodial father continue receiving uh, benefits by mistake well how, does the IRS know how to update sort of midstream um, so w- those complications are one reason why the Romney proposal uh, suggests doing this to the Social Security Administration. So not only does the Social Security Administration send out about 70 million uh, checks a month as it is and, and has a lot of experience administering monthly checks, but by being a proper child benefit rather than a sort of notional tax refund that's de- determined over the entire tax year, uh, if you had family situations that change, a death in the family, a birth in the family, a marriage, a divorce, uh, those things could be updated on the fly based on based on a, uh, on on that month that that you would either gain or lose eligibility. Uh, so that, that's the main reason to favor doing it through Social Security. The other thing that uh, is different than Romney's is Romney proposes maintaining the existing child tax credit phase out structure. So under current law, the child tax credit phases begins to phase out at two hundred thousand dollars of household income for for single parents and four hundred thousand dollars for uh, married parents. And so he, he retains those, but um, importantly, uh, the benefit is fully universal on the front end. So every single house uh, household that has el- eligible kids will be getting the, the same amount, 350 for young kids, uh, uh, 250 for older kids. Only for those higher income households would they pay some back on their end of year tax return. So on the front end, it's fully universal. And then the phase out is, is done ex post uh, via, via the IRS, which we think is probably a lot simpler to do. Okay. So if you're, we're getting rid of a number of things and we're creating a child allowance and the money is supposed to balance. What is, so, I mean, what is it that would make the child allowance proposal superior to what we have now? Why is it, why is it such a big deal? Well, it uh, depends on your perspective. You know, I think it's it's this classic sort of transpartisan or cross-partisan issue because uh, people get it, are attracted to it for different reasons. So, you know, on the left uh, or the more progressive side, the, by far the priority is child poverty. Um, though, uh, speaking as someone who's more on the center right, I, I think child poverty is really important too. And under the Romney proposal, the, the, the levels of the benefits uh, uh, translate into a one-third reduction in child poverty um, and a 50% reduction in in deep child poverty, which is just defined as, as below half the poverty line. So that would be really a landmark a reduction in child poverty in the U.S. context. And when you look internationally, uh, it's clear why the U.S. has always been an outlier in child poverty, and, and it has been that, that dearth of, of child benefits. Um, then on the family side, you know, there's a there's secondary crisis of marriage uh, declining fertility that, um, that uh, there's been a lot of growing interest in doing something uh, to resolve. Um, uh, you know, Lyman Stone has talked a lot about the fertility gap, which is the, the gap between desired and realized fertility, which is extraordinarily high in the U.S. context. Um, and so the, the idea here is that maybe having more robust, regular and um, and easily and, and, and very clear uh, programs supporting uh, families and children uh, will both lead to greater family stability, meaning less divorce, uh, less um, child abuse and neglect, stuff of that nature, but then also um promote fertility on the margin. And in the case of the Romney proposal, he even proposes having the child allowance be available 
uh, within your third, beginning your third trimester. So uh, even parents of unborn, unborn children would be able to um, begin uh, claiming this, this benefit. And, and one of the reasons for that is both sort of you know, the evidence around prenatal health care. There's a, a, a lot of evidence that, that that kind of income support can lead to better health outcomes for the, for the child and the mother. Um, there's also the evidence showing that uh, household incomes dec- decline precipitously in, in about three to four months prior to preg- uh, prior to birth. But then also, obviously, there's a, a big pro-life element to this as well. So, you know, the Guttmacher Institute uh, estimates that um, or has done surveys showing that 28 percent of people who have, of women who have abortions cite financial insecurity as their primary reason. Uh, and so, um, you know, we got Amy Coney there on the court. What do we do next? <laughs> uh, we got to start. We got to start having a more sort of whole life approach to to um, uh, to to the pro-life movement. All right. So I have heard, well, so let me, let me say the Romney proposal, I have seen it get a lot of positive support, uh, across the political spectrum. Everyone I've seen, I have seen literal socialists praise the plan. And I've also seen hardcore small government types and social conservative types say positive things about it. I have also, however, heard a number of uh, objections or criticisms of the plan. So I thought of varying degrees of reputability, but I thought it would probably be good to go through those uh, and see what your response was. The probably the, the the most you know the 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 most wonky one comes from uh, a number of people, including I think Scott Winship of AEI, who says that the child allowance. Because there's no requirements, it's going to reduce. It's go, it's going to encourage people to not work as much because the unlike a lot of existing benefits which have work requirements or requirements people look for this child allowance. There's it's no strings attached, right? As long as you got the kids, uh, so that's going to reduce work supply. So. What what are your thoughts on that as a objection? I think it, it's a bit um, you know, trapped in the '90s, uh, so to speak. So you know, Scott Winship's work, a lot of it has revolved around uh, the welfare reform under Bill Clinton, and that was a very consequential reform because under the old AFDC program, uh, benefits, uh, cash assistance uh, would phase out at the rates of up to 100. percent So it did create this pretty enormous poverty trap, and that and that. That design structure dates back to uh, the mother's pensions movement in the post in the, in the interwar period, where um, you know you had a lot of uh, war widows trying to care for their kids, and and um, and AFTC kind of emerged as a way of giving those mothers a pension uh, to provide for their for their for their children uh, in lieu of uh, having a breadwinner in the household, because back then um, women weren't expected to to have careers. Uh, and so that was, a, you know, I, I think the reforms that took place in the nineties were uh, essential to, to breaking that poverty trap, but people have taken some of the wrong lessons from why the poverty trap exists in the first place. Uh, it wasn't the rather paltry benefits that, that are provided through TANF that led people to uh, exit the labor force. It was the extremely steep clawback on the benefit that, um, and, you know, if you try to earn a dollar, you lose a dollar in benefits, then why would why would you even bother? And so those reforms were, were absolutely necessary, but it still left gaps. Right now, uh, Scott and uh, Andrew Rashidi, also at AEI, they, they are uh, digging around for 
<laughs> research on the uh, effects, what, what's called the income effect from a transfer. So the, so the, the effect from the clawback, it's, it's kind of like a marginal tax on earnings. That's called the substitution effect. And then the, and then the pure income effect is, okay, you have a flat benefit that doesn't phase out. What are the effects on the reverse then? Um, and if you take the sort of, you know, the, the, the whole literature on this question, uh, it seems to suggest that, uh, you know, conservatively, um, you would, you would expect about an hour, an hour reduction in, in work effort per, per 40 hour work week, um, uh, uh, concentrated among, um, uh, mothers, so that, that that would represent some some mothers choosing to work part time uh, rather than full time, cutting back their hours, maybe staying staying um, uh, stay at home parent for a little bit longer. Uh, but in aggregate, it it, it it amounts to about an hour reduction. Um, yeah, I I kind of take a dissenting view, and maybe this is uh, my own uh, motivated reasoning. But um, you know, when Canada expanded their child benefit in two thousand six, they they transitioned from a, a system similar to what we have now, where we had where they had non-refundable tax benefits for, for families. And they created a universal child allowance worth $2,000 Canadian. Um, and there was an event study done that looked at the before and after of that and, and found every single cohort, every single group increased their labor force participation and employment uh, with the one exception of married mothers without a college degree and with the child under the age of six. And within that category, there was a slight reduction in employment as on the margin, some parents uh, without uh, without the education required to get a very high wage in the in the, in the market, um, opted to be a stay-at-home mom. And you know, in the in the big scheme of things, I don't think that's even a negative. Um, I think there's a, a bit of an obsession um, owing to that '96 re- reform and its and its sort of lasting influence on conservative thinking in this area, uh, an orientation to kind of labor force maximalism, trying to push as many um, people into labor force as possible. And, um, and I think that has sort of uh, diminishing returns, um, you know, especially when you think of it in, in, in the context of a, a, a sort of small C conservative agenda, not, not uh, you know, in the proper sense of the, of the term, one that sort of wants to promote family and, and, um, and marriage and, uh, and isn't necessarily put off by, you know, a, uh, a Mormon family in, in Provost having uh, having a, a a different family structure than a, um, you know a, a yuppie couple in Brooklyn, um, and so in the big scheme of things, I, I don't think the employment and labor force participation argument really uh, carries that much weight. But I do know that this will be a focus for uh, of, of detractors who want to frame this as a return to the pre ninety six regime when when in fact it's it's um, it's far from that. Uh, in fact, many many countries that uh, adopted child allowances uh, did so because they were also reforming their old welfare systems and realized that a universal benefit is is sort of the canonical way of removing the work disincentive. Yeah. So it, just to just to sum up, uh, make sure that I understand what you're saying here. There's you know if you give someone uh, money, there's kind of two. There's two possible effects. One is right now, uh, because the benefits, you know, the government's giving you benefits, but uh, because you make less than a certain amount, if you were to work more, if you were to get a higher paying job, that you might actually end up behind because of that, because you make enough money that you don't get the benefits anymore. 
Uh, and so get, getting rid of that should encourage people to work. But the flip side of that is that if you give people some money, uh, they might be discouraged from working because you work in order to get money and you've already got some money, no strings attached. And it sounds like what you're saying is uh, that effect is probably pretty small and it's probably concentrated uh, among married women with small children where, you know, it's a, I guess it's a normative question whether we think that uh, married women with young children not working quite as much is actually a, a, a bad thing or not. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, I don't, I don't think it's the role of the government to, um, you know, weigh, weigh in on those normative questions. I think, uh, you know, one of the virtues of a child allowance is it, is it sort of strives to remain neutral to those questions. Um, and in the case of the, the Romney proposal, uh, the reforms that makes the earned income tax credit, like they're, they're specifically designed to, remove the existing marriage penalty that exists in the EITC. Um, and one of the, one of the roadblocks to, you know, social conservatives have been writing for, for years about uh, the marriage penalty in the EITC and, and the roadblock to reforming it has been just, it's, it's expensive. Like the way you remove the marriage penalty would be to make the EITC for married families much bigger and that costs money. Um, and uh, so it, this introdu- an introduction of a child allowance is sort of the golden opportunity to reform this. And this is also one reason why I detract from um, some of the folks on the left who their, their, their criticism of the Romney plan is, you know, I had one person uh, tell me over the phone that, you know, you're fine. You're, you're funding this off the backs of the poor, which I thought was a bit rich because, you know, <laughs> we're also in, uh, cutting poverty by a third and increasing um, low income family incomes by, by thousands of dollars. But there is this sweet spot. If you're already earning their income tax credit, um, and you're earning the maximum EITC, and you're a single uh, a single parent with one kid, uh, then you 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 know if you adjust for participation, there is no loss at all. But but if you if you assume that they're they were claiming the EITC in the first place, um, they they could see a you know a six hundred dollar reduction in their sort of net benefits. Uh, you know my problem with that argument is both that um, uh, you know, politically, uh, you've always said that the, the thing standing in the way of reforming the marriage penalty is that we have to spend more money. Well, now we're spending more money. And if you, if you just want to maintain the existing EITC structure, then your earlier claim that uh, it was just about the money seems now disingenuous because now uh, we have the opportunity to do this and, and, and you're balking at it. And the second thing is, you know, that we can focus a little too much on these statistical artifacts. So, um, you know, looking at the, the point in time estimates of who benefits and who loses from a reform like this, it, it can be very misleading because a family that earns $20,000 this year uh, might be in the sweet spot for the EITC and therefore be a, a slight net loser. But what if that what if that family loses their job uh, next year and their income drops to zero? Well, suddenly they're far <laughs> way better off under the Romney program than under the status quo. Um, and so if you look across the entire life cycle of, of, of a family, uh, there's just no question in my mind that, the, that everyone comes out better. All right. So another, and I should say these uh, objections are not necessarily all going to be consistent with each other. Uh, so another um, objection that you have, uh, which kind of goes to universal programs generally, is 
look, if you have, you're going to be sending this money to everybody. Uh, the goal, the goal is to cut child poverty, but uh, you're going to be sending these checks to a lot of rich people, right? So, for example, you know, Elon Musk, uh, I believe, is now the richest man in the world, perhaps, and he's got seven kids. Uh, uh, I, I think that they are all minors. I don't, I don't know. Maybe he, he would pay it back on his taxes. Yeah. So, the, I, I learned a new phrase last week, which is, um, you know, if you phase out a benefit. So it only targets the poor. We call that means testing. But if you but if you have a benefit that goes to 99% of households, but then phases out just for the very top, and, and under this, it phases out after $400,000 of income. So um, uh, quite high income. Uh, we, we can call that affluence testing. So <laughs> this is this is really this is really um, supposed to be a middle class uh, benefit as much as as much as it's a poverty benefit because you know I think it's really important. Um, both, both for the politics, but also the policy that this be about rewarding families and children per se. Uh, and, and, you know, one of the uh, essays I wrote last week for uh, Institute for Family Studies, I talked about the, the bourgeois equality of a child. So, you know, in the U.S. system, we have this kind of two-tiered approach where if you're middle class, you get a, you get a simple tax credit. But if you're low income or just have fallen on hard times, you're, you're forced to jump through the hoops of, of this um, aging uh, sclerotic welfare bureaucracy. And that can pose longer run uh, problems because navigating the complexity of, of sort of these, these ancient great society uh, complex programs uh, forces you to become sort of expert in, in the system. You end up specializing in, in learning how to fill out the forms and everything else. Um, and then, uh, you sort of become acculturated in poverty in, 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 in the richer sense of the term, and um, you know one of the one of the uh, reasons I think of this as, as being more in the in the uh, uh, FDR category than the than the Lyndon Johnson category is it is trying to, to construct a, a kind of platform for a bourgeois middle class society. It's we're assuming that um, you know people who are poor today could be middle class tomorrow, and we don't want to. Uh, take their child benefits away uh, just because they uh, uh, success, successfully entered the middle class. Okay, so another objection has to do, and this is, I think, you. So there, there, there have been a number of senators. Uh, I'm thinking, for particularly of Lee and Rubio, who have traditionally been big fans of the child tax credit. They are, you know, in favor of expanding the child tax credit. Uh, but they, they don't necessarily, they don't like the Romney proposal. And I think one issue, you know, when people talk about when people on the conservative or small government side of things talk about the child tax credit, one of the ways that it's justified is by saying that, uh, you know, it's, it's different from uh, ordinary welfare or government handout because it's just the government not taking your own money. And even in a case where the credit is refundable, so it's, you know, even if the amount you get from the credit exceeds your total tax liability, it, you know, people will make arguments about, well, people are still paying the payroll tax and other things like that. Uh, whereas this would just be, you would not have that. Uh, 
philosophical limitation. So what is your what is your take on that issue? Well, I, the, the Lee Rubio um, you know, proposal dates back to uh, this 2010 essay in National Affairs by Bob Stein, former uh, Republican Treasury official, um, where he talks about the, the double tax uh, represented by the payroll tax in the context of Social Security. So, you know, his argument is that, um, you know, as we when we shifted from our, our an agrar- agrarian economy uh, to a, a modern economy, um, there was a breakdown in extended families and uh, and a, a steep rise in elder poverty because formerly you would have kids, you'd have like seven kids, and it, you know, the ones that survived into adulthood would take care of you as a as a as a senior. Um, and when that broke down, Social Security had to be created uh, to basically kind of have a, a nationalized pension um, for, for those uh, older folks. But then on the flip side, it ended up creating a, a sort of fertility disincentive or free, free rider problem, because if you were having lots of kids, those, those kids would grow up to be payroll tax paying working adults. And so they'd be paying into the system, making the system solvent. But what, you know, what is your personal motivation to be having all those kids because their, their contributions ended up becoming sort of spread across the whole country. Um, and so this is why he in 2010 proposed uh, a, a massive expansion to the child tax credit and, and making it refundable against payroll taxes. Now, um, you know, my view is that uh, the, the, that argument is basically correct, but, but there's no particular reason to pair it with the payroll tax, particularly when you realize that um, incentive, you know, offsetting the payroll tax represents a, a wage subsidy and we, we do know that uh, encouraging uh, uh, maternal labor force participation actually reduces fertility. <laughs> so it sort of cuts against itself. But then the second thing is, um, you know, there's a big life cycle uh, uh, gap uh, between when people have their first born and when people reach their, their peak earning potential. So, you know, today in the U.S., the average age at first, first birth for a woman is 26. That's been steadily creeping higher. It used to be closer to 23 um, and, and that, and that, uh, that higher age is actually one of the main drivers of our lower uh, reducing fertility rate, because if you start having a family later in life, you start to realize that you, um, you know, you, you don't have enough uh, years left to, to achieve your family desires. Uh, so that, that's, that's a problem in its, in its own right. But then the secondary problem is if you're, if you're having kids when you're 26, um, you're like fresh out of, fresh out of college and um, you know, just starting in the labor market, you, you, you don't have a huge tax burden, not, definitely not compared to, you know, when you're 46 or 56, which are the peak earnings for, men, for women and men, um, then that's when your tax burden is a lot higher. So in some ways, uh, having a flat child allowance is a, a more fully realized version of, of what Bob Simon was proposing. And actually, um, I've since corresponded with him with, with the release of the Romney bill. And he, and he uh, said this on Twitter as well. He detracted from the, um, the Rubio Lee statement said that it was, a, it was a misinterpretation of his own argument. Um, now, you know, I, 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 I sort of give Lee a pass because Lee has always been on the more libertarian side with, with Rubio. I, I, I just can't, you know, convey <laughs> my disappointment in him because, um, you know, he spent the last four years uh, trying to um, you know, position himself as a, a kind of post-Trump Republican writing things about industrial policy, things that I've been on, the show to, to talk about in the past uh, and, and, and agitating for a Republican um, 
a party that was oriented to, you know, a pro-family, pro-working class uh, policy agenda. And this was his opportunity to stand up and say, hey, you know, uh, a lot has changed over the, over the last four years. And uh, consistent with my call for, you know, common good capitalism, we want we want a, a common program that promotes the, the good of having a family. And instead of um, instead of doing that, he he fell back into um, uh, what's uh, frankly disingenuous rhetoric about this being welfare versus what he wants is just being a tax cut. And you know, I think this is this is really semantics at this point. Um, one way or another, we're doing large transfers to families, and uh, uh, you know, above and beyond what their income tax is. Um, and even if they did have an income tax. You know, if, if you if we gave a big if we gave a big tax deduction to people building sports stadiums, we would recognize that as a subsidy to sports stadiums. Um, and so there's a little bit of a rhetorical sleight of hand uh, at play here. And, you know, I, I think it's it's going to be he'd look back on as a as a big political miscalculation, because here here you have somebody in Rubio who is a life, a longtime champion of the, of the child tax credit, not just coming out against this seeking to undermine any Republican, uh, any other Republicans who might be, be curious about joining on board. Um, and, you know, Rubio is up for re-election in 2022, and he's going to be on the debate stage with the Democratic Senate candidate having to explain why he opposed the monthly child benefit that would be coming to uh, families across Florida. You know, and part of, part of the political calculus here is, you know, the Biden, the Biden credit is going to happen one way or, or, or the other. Um, you know, do Republicans want to have their input and maybe even share some of the credit and make make the program, uh, uh, you know, more pro-life, more pro-marriage than it would be otherwise? Uh, or, or are they going to sort of stand athwart history yelling, you know, yelling, stop, don't do this, do this other thing that's very, very similar, but <laughs> but uh, but we could pretend it's a tax cut. Yes. Uh, and sometimes it seems to me that some of the libertarian distinctions on some of this stuff remind me of like Islamic finance, uh, <laughs> you know, cause they, you're not in Islam, you're not allowed to charge interest, but they have these other things that you can do that kind of look like you're charging interest, but officially it's not. So it's cool. I'll just, I'll just leave that as a side. Okay. And no, I, I see that too. Like, you know, when, when Trump gave that massive tax cut to carrier, the, the uh, manufacturing company to try to attract them back to, uh, I forget which state, but you know that was a massive you know handout to a company, an individual. It was picking a winner, right? <laughs> but you know, at the time, I remember some of my more libertarian friends saying, uh, you know, this is just a you know this is just a reduction in a net reduction in coercion because all they're doing is is giving them back their taxes. Um, and I thought that was you know, I, I'm, I'm a more Hayekian, I guess, where like it's not about. Um, you, you sort of got to start with a baseline of a rule of law and, and treating people equally and having sort of a flat, fair tax code and then saying, you know, relative to that, if we only if we had a flat tax, but then only gave, um, you know, a, a massive deduction for people named Josiah, then I would call that a, a welfare program for people named Josiah. Well, well, I don't know about that. Um, <laughs> OK, so this next one, I'm going to include a disclaimer before this. Next objection, which is these are not my objections. These are uh, things that other people have said. And uh, I do think that it is important to address, you know, even uh, some of the less respectable types of things that you might use are arguments that you would not necessarily ever hear on the Senate floor in a press release. But I do think, you know, 
considerations that uh, do motivate a lot of, you know, normal people, certainly. Um, and so this is, you know, the other day on TikTok, or actually on Twitter, people were sharing a video from TikTok where a woman was explaining why she had six kids from six different uh, fathers, six different men, and she was talking about how, well, you know, there's a limitation of how much you can get from a guy in alimony as a percentage of his salary. And so if there's six different guys, it's more money and, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I think that there is definitely uh, some concern, you know, some, some people have expressed concern about these sorts of benefits is, is it going to encourage out of wedlock birth? Is it going to encourage poor women to have more kids that, you know, uh, they are not really going to be able to provide for in a suitable manner, but with the money, uh, which they, as the parent gets, you know, cause the kids don't mm-hmm. actually get any money. Um, you know, that's going to be an incentive there is, are, are there, are there kind of, uh, unintended social consequences because of that? So what would you say about that as a, as a concern? Yeah. I mean, I, mean, I would just point to the sort of enormous, the vast literature on, on child benefits that, that show that, uh, no, they do not increase out of wedlock childbirth. And, you know, one of the reasons why, well, you know, to some extent, um, there, there's some goals and tension here, right? So, you know, I, I will be first to admit that on the margin, uh, that those 28% of women who say that they have an abortion because of, uh, financial insecurity, um, you know, if they're on the fence about having and keeping their child, um, uh, from an unintended pregnancy, <clears throat> and this makes the difference, this puts them over the fence, then yes, then there will be uh, within that group, uh, you know, uh, more unwed mothers having kids. Um, but that's precisely like the, the reason this is a pro-life move. And the question is, you know, in that, in that narrow context, do we care more about um, saving that life uh, uh, versus, uh, you know, aborting the child and waiting until the, the mother is um, in, you know, has gone through the full success sequence. <laughs> um, well, but so that, that's sort of a narrow case and in the, in the, in the big picture, macro picture um, there, there's, there's just no, no way that this is a, uh, uh, this moves the needle on that question because, you know, you look at the estimates of what it actually costs to raise a child over the child's lifetime uh, from zero to 18, it's about a quarter million dollars over $13,000 a year in direct child related expenses, uh, a, a, a $4,200 child allowance is not, you know, puts a dent in that and makes it easier to afford childcare and the like. Um, but you're, you know, having kids is still an expensive affair. Um, and I don't know who this woman was who had six different baby daddies that she was chasing for child support, but, um, you know, maybe she should, uh, uh, start a small business or something. Cause she, she definitely, <laughs> definitely has uh, work ethic. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> uh, uh, okay, so last last one, and I apologize I haven't let Doug talk much. Um, so this is another thing that I heard. Uh, I heard someone uh, at a party. I think actually you have may have been a bystander to this conversation too, Sam. Uh, I remember I was at a party in D.C. It was one of the R Street holiday parties, and there was a woman that was there. We were chatting. And somehow the uh, subject of the child tax credit came up and 
she said that she really objected to the idea of the child tax credit because she didn't have any kids. And so she didn't think it was fair uh, that she being, you know, a childless person uh, had to pay more taxes than someone who made the choice to have a child. And you do, you know, you do sometimes uh, hear these arguments made places like the Wall Street Bureau or whatever, that the decision to have a child is, you know, it's, it's a personal choice. Like, you know, buying a yacht, right? Uh, <laughs> babies and boats. Yeah, yeah, babies and boats, or you know, maybe a a, a weird kind of like a, you know, uh, having a tiger, right? You're going to buy a tiger. There's a lot of expenses that come from that, uh, but there's no reason to try and uh, encourage that via the tax code. And in fact, it's actually kind of unfair to be. Uh, giving a child tax credit at all, let alone a child allowance. So uh, that that's the nature of it. Uh, I'm I'm sure you've heard something like that. Uh, mm-hmm. What? Uh, so what are your what are your thoughts on that? Well, I started by saying that you know all adults were once kids, and you know to the extent that uh, even the you know the childless spinsters at the Wall Street Journal editorial board don't have um, you know kids of their own uh, that you know. Shame on them, but um, they were kids at one point too. And you know, I someone remarked earlier that uh, you know under the under the uh, under the Rubio proposal, uh, his family and he's told you know his life story growing up in um, in Florida to to working class parents, immigrants, um, they wouldn't have, they wouldn't have qualified for his his uh, payroll refundable child tax credit. So so that's number one. Number two, yeah, as you said, you know, babies, kids, they're not they're not like boats, they're not like exotic pets. They are they are part of this intergenerational compact we call civilization, right? And maybe, you know, maybe this is why I make the, the conservative case for the child allowance, not the libertarian case, because you know it isn't strictly libertarian. Because I think conservatives have a, a more civilizational view of, of of things, and also a sort of sense of human nature that is universal and not you know completely malleable. And clearly, one of the uh, human universals is rep- reproduction and raising kids. So, you know, I, I, not only are they not comparable, but, um, uh, you know, I would say that uh, there might even be a positive obligation to support uh, family formation and um, the health and well-being and investment in, in children so they grow up to be productive adults. Yeah. And the funny thing about that, too, is, I mean, it's it, <laughs> I, I've, I've got a degree in tax and you could look at almost every tax policy we have and there's there is a public policy choice that's being made that we're incentivizing one behavior or another so uh, this uh, sort of the 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 approach that she's taking about fundamental fairness there should be no differentials uh, that's 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 just simply not the way our tax laws work i mean we're we're nowhere near that across across the board, and I guess I guess we could just switch everything to a consumption tax or something. But uh, even that's even that's a that's a choice, right? That's that would be a public policy choice to disincentivize the consumption. So I mean, it's everything is a public policy choice. It's it's pretty uh, pretty naive. From your ears to Mike Lee, from your mouth to Mike Lee. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, thank you for a very informative discussion of this proposal. And, you know, I guess we will see what happens. Uh, But uh, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks, guys.